Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of Malachim Bet, that is the second book of Kings. <clears throat> we are about to begin chapter 7. And when we left off at the end of chapter 6, we learned of the terrible predicament the capital city of Samaria of Shomron was in. We learned that the um, army of Aram had completely surrounded the city and literally starved the people to the point where we learned of the tragic story of a woman who made a deal with her neighbor which child they would eat first. That's how awful the situation had come. And at the end of the story, and we also read of the king, how the king would uh, walk along the walls in order to um, presumably to see what the city's defenses were like. And he had sackcloth underneath his clothes, which everyone saw. So presumably he was engaged in some sort of prayer. But when he saw how desperate things got, his reaction was to be angry at Elisha. <clears throat> I want to explore that a little bit farther as we begin our study of this next chapter, because we're about to read of Elisha's response. There have been many cases before that we've studied together uh, in which the people were against great odds. And if, for those of you that have been studying together with me until now, you'll remember that in many cases, the people of Israel were saved from an enemy that was far superior to them. I want to point out two stories and the lessons that were very clear from those stories as to what lesson we're supposed to learn from those stories. The first one I would like to point out is the story of uh, Saul and Jonathan, and this is in Shmuel Aleph, the first book of Samuel, chapter 14. If you go back to the first book of Samuel, chapter 14, give me one second, I'm going to open it up. Um, we find there <clears throat> a story of where the um, Saul and his camp were, were being confronted uh, they were in battle by the Philistines, a common enemy in those days, in the days of Saul. And they were far outnumbered. The Philistine camp was huge. And if we recall um, that story, um, Saul at the time was busy in, in um, you know, sitting with his men, figuring out what to do, basically not doing much. And his responses in that story and in several other stories was to call the ark, to call in prayer, to bring sacrifices, all kinds of things to try to get God's favor. At the same time, and we pointed this out, if you go back to our podcasts on that chapter, Jonathan went and caused a small altercation on the front with some Philistine scouts, defeated a bunch of them, which ended up causing a huge uh, uh uh, impression among the Philistine camp that they were being routed by the people of Israel, which caused a, a, uh, um, a mass retreat. So despite the fact that Jonathan went with just very few men, he was able to create tumult in such a way that he brought about victory. And the point that we described then in much more detail than I'm going to do now was to learn the lesson that sitting around and 
trying to win the battle with 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 the the prayer and sacrifices as opposed to action. I'm not against uh, at all the idea of prayer prior to battle. Of course not. The idea of remembering the importance of the battle and remembering the importance of devotion to God and his laws and his principles and the way of life that he's teaching us to do and what we're defending is obviously of utmost importance. However, what's much even more important than that is to act, is to do, right? Of course, the famous case where we see this was Moses before the splitting of the sea. God says to Moses, Why are you crying to me? Speak to the nation and go, move, right? The idea is you have to act, you have to go, you have to do which is what Jonathan did, despite all odds against him, he was able to cause an entire army to run. Another story that emphasized the same point is back in the book of Judges, chapter 7, where we had the story of Gidon. And at that time, the enemy of Gidon was the Midianites. And if you recall back then, Gidon had a massive army to go against the people of Midian, and God told him to whittle down his army to a small number of men. And this small number of men were able to conquer the Midianites. And if you remember how, and this is going to be important for us to understand what's about to happen in chapter 7, he sent some spies this, uh, into the camp and said, listen to what they're saying. And when he heard, he overheard a conversation of two people in the Midianite camp discussing a loaf of bread that someone saw in a dream, which is going to conquer the camp, and it was a sign, and they interpreted it as a sign that Gidon is going to conquer the whole camp. And Gidon immediately understood that the morale of the people was such that they were afraid of the mighty Gidon, right? So Gidon right away caused the whole tumult and attacked, knowing this, knowing the mood, and knowing how he can call, cause mass pandemonium. He did that and therefore was able to, to uh, successfully trounce a much, much larger and much more powerful foe. What we're going to find in the chapter that we're about to read is tons and tons of hints that something could have been done besides walking around the walls on sackcloth, which the king was doing, and besides hoping for Elisha to produce some sort of a miracle. Right? We're going to find the flaw that's going to be brought out in this chapter that we're about to read and in this <clears throat> incredible salvation that the people of Samaria are about to experience, a lesson in um, not standing there and doing nothing and just praying and thinking that somehow a miracle is going to happen. If we remember the last, of the chap- the last verse in chapter 6, right? Uh, the messenger says... Um, uh, to to uh, to the king, or and we said we said several different possibilities, but somebody stated either the king himself or the messenger of the king said, "This evil came from God. How can we hope for God anymore?" And the message that God wants to teach us in response through His prophet Elisha, that we're about to read in this chapter, is, "What do you mean? If what you think is right that you're going to hope for God, that God is going to come, and that's what you think you're supposed to do without you doing anything." then you're right. Then maybe there is nothing you can do. But there is a lot you can do. And if you had the strength and the courage and you did what needed to be done, you could at least try to rescue yourself from this enemy, from this terrible enemy that's oppressing you this much.
And, um, and immediately Elisha answers, and that's the first verse of this chapter. Vayomer Elisha, and Elisha says, Shimu dvar Adonai. I'm going to tell you the word of God. You think that what can you do? How can you pray to God anymore? I'll tell you. Or how can you hope that God will save you? So says God, you know what? I'm sick and tired of you guys because you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do. So I'm going to take care of this. At this time tomorrow, a, a saw of solet, a saw of flour, will be cost only a shekel. In other words, it would be very cheap. Remember, we started learning about the terror and how horrible this famine was by how expensive it was to buy the head of a donkey, which is barely any meat in it to eat and not exactly something that people generally eat, but people who are starving that they were spend so much money. Tomorrow, a large measure of flour will cost a shekel, and two saw, that's two measures of barley, b'shekel, will also call it the shekel, b'shar shomron, in the gates of the city of Samaria. This sounded ridiculous. Vayan hashalish, and the king's right-hand man, that the king would lean on his hand, he answered, the man of God, and he said, Is God going to make windows in the heaven? Is something like this can possibly happen? Right? It's ironic because um, we know of the miracle of the, man, of the manna, right? We know how the people were able to eat in the desert. If you had faith in God and therefore you acted and you did, what you needed to do, right? You didn't sit back and do nothing. But faith in God, which means think about the situation, assess the situation, and don't just give up, don't just stand there, but do something, right? Then anything is possible. It's all, there's good, there is an answer to this question. There is a way out, right? But this person, this, uh, this person did not learn that lesson. Presumably this is, well, at least possibly this is the same person who may, has said the question before, or he, he could have been, you know, the messenger that was being sent before in the, the last verse of the previous chapter. Vayomer, and then he said further, Han, hin, I'm sorry, Vayomer, and he said, meaning Elisha, the prophet said, You will see with, with your own eyes, but you're not going to get any of that food to eat. In other words, everyone else will eat, but you will never benefit from that. So, what's going to happen? Let's see what happens. And this here is where the chapter starts, according to the way it's divided in the Jewish tradition. The, um, the chapter, you know, uh, according to the Parshiot. So, the next chapter, though, of course, can, backs out, zeroes out from the, focusing on Elisha and focuses the spotlight on another group of people, an interesting group of people. There were four men. They were lepers. Pesach HaShoar. And they were sitting or, or they resided or standing Pesach HaShoar outside the city gate at the opening entrance of the city. As we know, lepers are required to be outside the city. They were basically outcasts. They were basically the, the homeless, the lowest levels of the social rungs of the society of the time. Or the lepers who didn't even have a place to sleep, they, they slept outside the city, right outside the gate. And one of them said to the other one, his friend, Why are we just sitting here until we die, right? Let's get up and do something. These lepers are doing what the king did not do. These lepers are doing 
what the king's uh, assistant did not do. They are thinking, let's, we're sitting here, we're starving, there's no food, well, let's do something. So let's think, what should we do? Um, if we would d- d- say to each other and decide, that we should go into the city, but in the city, this famine, there's nothing to eat. We'll just die there. A certain death waits for us in the city. If we stay out here, then for sure we're going to die. We're starving. We're dying. So we can't find any food inside the city. We're starving to death outside the city. So now, let's go into the camp of Aram. Let's go to the enemy camp. So there, what's the worst that can happen? If maybe they'll help us out and give us some food, even if they capture us or throw us in junk dungeon, if they give us some food, at least we'll live. If they decide we're enemies and decide to kill us, we'll die, we're going to die anyway. So therefore, they decided to get up and do something. Now, so they get up at Neshef, which is at the very beginning of the day, so it's still kind of dark, but they get up, to come to the camp of Aram, and they come to the edge of the camp of Aram, as they're approaching it, and there's no one there. This would be an appropriate place for us to stop, to find, and we'll find out in the next podcast what happens. Where did the camp of Aram go? But I do want to point out a thought to ponder. How could it be that these lepers were the ones who sat and deci- who got up and talked and decided to get up and do something, and they're the ones that find out that the entire enemy camp is abandoned? We're going to see soon that the king did not know this, right? Which means he did not have any surveillance or spies like Gidon did. Right back in the book of Judges, he had spies go and sit and listen to see what's going on in the camp. Jonathan, Jonathan did in the book of Samuel, he sent out scouts to see and to prod and to poke and see where he can get into the enemy lines. Right? What did this king do? This king, instead of doing that, he retreated into the city and screamed and yelled at the prophet for not bringing out about a miracle. The point over here is, is that a leper who goes and does something to try to change the situation can be way, way, way more effective than a king who sits around in sackcloth and yells and screams and curses his prophets. This is, um, I'm going to conclude here, 7a, and we will continue chapter 7 and see how it is that the city was saved from this terrible famine. Thank you so much for studying together with me. Looking forward to studying the rest of this chapter and the rest of this beautiful book together. Have a wonderful day.